Amen. Appreciate that special. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read once again verses 1 through 6 this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that was set before us. Of course, the picture here we talked about two weeks ago of a runner who's disciplining himself, training himself, laying aside anything in his life that would hinder him winning that race. And we as God's people need to lay aside those things that hinder us, the sin which easily besets us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I've traveled this message this morning, enduring the hardships, or you might say the trials, of the crucified life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your, the opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you that uh, you have... Uh, preserved it for us, and we have it in our own language. We can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, Father, I pray that you help me rightly divide thy truth this morning and make application to our lives for our good and thy glory. We do pray that be any in our midst this morning who do not have the assurance of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. I pray that the Spirit of God would bring conviction and repentance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He was born a a slave, raised to be a king. But choosing to identify with his enslaved people, he lived 40 years in obscurity, learning to endure the trials and hardships of life. And out of that came the meekest man on earth we know as Moses. A man whose interest was simply the will of God and his glory. You know, that is the goal of the Lord for your life. The will of God and the glory of God. And that through chastening and afflictions of life, which our Heavenly Father has ordained for our profit. Now, we're not going to get that far this morning, but we're going to look at that in a few weeks. That's actually in verse 10. If we got there, we'd be here till 6 o'clock. But, so, so I'm not going to do all that this morning. But he's ordained these things for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. You know, really, again, this, really, this passage continues through verse 17. But again, if we were to try and do all that this morning, we'd be here till 6 o'clock. So, so we're just going to look at a few things here this morning. Uh, but we are to endure... The hardships, the trials, and the afflictions, and the chastening of the Lord. That word endure means to bear bravely. 
calmly. Absolutely. Bearing ill treatment. And so, as we think about this this morning, I have two main points and then a few sub-points. But first of all, consider the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in verses 2 through 4. And I want you to consider, first of all, the contradiction of Jesus being made sin for us. Now, in verse 2 it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So consider this contradiction of Jesus being made sin for us. Now, the word consider simply means to think over, it means to ponder. And, and we understand that from comparing the Old Testament scriptures with the New Testament scriptures, we clearly understand that Jesus became our sin bearer. He became the substitute to pay the penalty of sin for us. You know, Exodus 12, we read about the Passover lamb, and you know, he, the Passover lamb was to be taken out of the flock. It was to be a lamb without blemish. It was to be killed. Its blood was put on the lentil across the top of the door and down the side post. And, and so when the death angel passed through Egypt that night, uh, he would not touch those that had the blood on the door, on the lentil and down the side posts. He said, I will pass over you. Your death is the penalty for sin. It's the penalty for sin. But instead, they were granted life by the blood of a lamb that died in their place. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 tells us, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. That Passover lamb in Exodus was a picture of Christ who would become our Passover, the one who sacrificed himself for us. And if you want to have eternal life and be delivered from the bondage of sin and death, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. John 1.4 said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, light has to do with understanding, has to do with perception. You know, Jesus said in John 3, 3 to Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see. He cannot understand. He cannot perceive. You know, the natural world can't perceive the fact that somebody would have to die in their place to pay the penalty for their sin. But in him is life. But consider this contradiction. And if you understand the way to life, You know, the, the world won't understand, does not understand this way to life, nor will they understand this contradiction. But consider this contradiction as we're talking about here this morning. The holy, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, Son of God, so holy he cannot look upon evil, becomes a man that he might be made sin for us, who knew no sin. Do you, ever, do you ever hear something about somebody and you say, well, that's just not like them? You know, this is so unlike, this is so unlike Jesus, the holy, harmless Son of God, separate from sinners, who did no sin to be made sin for us. It's a contradiction. 
This is the one whom the demons said of, referred to as the Holy One of God in Luke 4, 34. And, and, and he became or was made that which he detested. You know, it says in verse 2 that he endured this cross, he despising the shame. How can a holy God be made sin? But was this not the cause of his agony in the garden? You know, Luke twenty two forty four says, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I don't know about you, but I have no idea what that kind of agony is like. That word agony there means severe mental, emotional struggles, anguish. There was so much agony that his sweat was filled with drops of blood. You see, he endured the cross. He bare it bravely and calmly and absolutely, but he despised. He despised. This word despise here means to disgrace, dishonor. It's, it's, it's a... Kind of like how um, uh, uh, Goliath looked at David, and it says he disdained him. You know, he was insulted that the children of Israel would send a boy, a shepherd boy, a youth, to fight him. He was insulted. He said, what am I, a dog? It means to be publicly disgraced. You know, to die a crucifixion was to be publicly stripped of your honor. You know, all was left was a loincloth, so he was left naked. Uh, you know, it'd be publicly disgraced before all. It's, it's being considered like, there's the Benedict Arnold. The traitor, if you will. Hung up for all to see. It was to be considered the worst of criminals. And this was the holy, harmless, undefiled Son of God. He was considered the most vile of sinners to pay our sin debt. Now, this is a contradiction of the greatest sort. But this is how they looked at him. In Matthew 10.25, it says, Jesus says, Is it enough for the disciple that he be as his master? And the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub. That means prince of devils. So Pharisees called Jesus the prince of devils. How much more shall they call them of his household? John 1.11 tells us he came unto his own. His own received him not. John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 25, the end of that verse says, they hated me without a cause. You know, what is is considered the religious right is becoming more and more hated in our country and around the world. Isn't it interesting the world does not hate sin? The world doesn't hate sin. I'll I just give you an illustration. I saw this just this morning. 
title was Difference Between Putin and Us. And it was a picture. It was put out by some British guy, I think. Picture of a pink tank with men clamoring all over it and a crowd around it. And the article was about how the, the difference between us and Putin is we believe in equal rights for the LBGTQ. And I thought to myself, Lord, help us. If we're the promoters of that and Putin is against it, whose side is the Lord on? See, the world loves sin. The world loves sin. They don't hate sin. You know, we sin because we want to. It's human nature to be selfish, to lie, to cheat, to criticize, to be immoral. You know, we find pleasure in sin for a season. And the world loves sin more than it loves God. 1 John 5.19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And the picture there is, it's like little Lucas lying comfortable in Mama's lap. That's the picture. The whole world lies comfortably in wickedness. But Jesus, the Bible says, he despised the shame. He despised the vileness of sin, and yet he was made sin for us. That's why he cried on the cross, my father, my father, why hast thou forsaken me? That's why God turned his back on his son. Because he was made sin for us. Second thing we see is, he endured the opposition of sinners against himself. Again, notice verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You're contrary to the nature of things. Again, contrary. The creator suffered at the hands of his creation. I mean, this is all backwards. It's all backwards. The just one suffered at the hands of the unjust. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. In 2 Peter 3, in verse 13, Peter asks a question. It says, Who is he that will be harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, if you keep that into context with the passage, the idea is you would think, he was saying this, you would think if you do that which is good, nobody will harm you. But that's not the way it is in the world. You know, if you're good, if you're truthful, people will love you, right? But many times when we, we find that in a world filled with sin and disorder, that is not the case. You know, Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene and he goes to the synagogue at Nazareth. And verse 17 says, It's delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he Find the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That sounds like wonderful things. It is wonderful things. It says he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. The eyes of them, all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on them. He began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, It's not this Joseph's son. He said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb. Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. You know, they heard these gracious words out of his mouth, and all of a sudden they're filled with wrath. You know why? Because he spoke the truth. He said, that woman of Sidon had faith, and you didn't. Naaman had faith, but how many lepers in Israel did? Neither do you. And instead of changing their hearts, they got mad. They got angry. How many times have you maybe witnessed to somebody, and instead of accepting the truth, they got mad at you? I get angry. Of course, the Bible goes on and tells us they were going to kill, tried to kill him. In John 3, verses 19 and 20, John 3, 19 and 20, it says, and This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. See, they hate the light because their deeds are being reproved. They're being exposed. Therefore, they hate it. 1 John 3, 11-13, This is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? So why did he slew Abel? Why did he kill Abel? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous marvel not my brethren if the world hate you again in John 15 25 but this cometh to pass that the word word might be filled that is written in their law they hated me without a cause but this is not fair do you ever say that this is not fair Welcome to the real world. Wake up, Wokies. Life's not fair. It's not fair. You know, ever since sin entered the world, by man's choice, life has not been fair. Life has not been just. Life has not been equal. Nor will it be 
until our Lord rolls and reigns. And we find here that he, Jesus endured this opposition of sinners against themselves, this contradiction, that word contradiction can mean opposition. He endured bravely and calmly this ill treatment. You know, we often, so often react to situations because it's our nature. We feel like it. We feel justified. We become angry and burst forth because we feel like it. We're offended. But you know, our Lord never acted that way. He never reacted. His actions were never determined or caused by what others said or did. He would just simply speak the truth. What was right? For him to do so, actually to react like we do, would have been a contradiction of himself. Because he is the perfect, sinless Son of God. But we see here enduring this opposition of sinners against himself. In 1 Peter 2, verse 19 says, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, and you shall take it patiently? But if you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. You know, if, if a person, if a person uh, is antagonistic, against the police and they get buffeted for it they earned it they earned it they deserved it but for a person not to do anything illegal not to do anything wrong or offensive to a police officer and then get buffeted see that kind of suffering it says is acceptable with God. That's the way Jesus was. He didn't do anything illegal. It was they who did the illegal acts. The whole trial was illegal according to Jewish law. He did nothing illegal. He did not break the law of God. Yet he suffered. Verse 21 says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, vowed not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So we, you know, when we're reviled, we shouldn't revile back. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, uh, when we're threatened, we shouldn't threaten. You know, Isaiah verses 6 and 7 says I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair I hid not my face from shame and spitting for the Lord God will help me therefore shall I not be confounded therefore have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed You see, he endured this opposition of sinners against himself. So we see this example of Christ. 
And then there's a challenge to us to endure this chastening, even as our Lord. In verses 5 and 6, again it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you, as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Again, that word endure means to bear bravely or calmly uh, ill treatment. Uh, and he says we're not to despise the chastening of the Lord. And, and the, the word despise here is a little different than the one we saw before. It means to regard lightly or make small account of. Um, you know, in verse 2, it really means to disdain. But here it just means to, to consider it lightly or really consider it not important. Consider it not important. But notice, we're, we're to endure chastening for a couple reasons. First of all, to learn obedience. Again, in verse 5, Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Your chastening is part of child training. And if you're a child of God, you are going to be chastened. You are going to be chastened. We'll see that more next week or so. But, but you are going to be chastened. It's, it's discipline. Uh, notice, I want you to notice, go back to chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. Chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. For many years, this, this passage puzzled me, and it's still a little bit puzzling. But chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 says this, Who in the days of his flesh, this is speaking of Christ, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. And I believe that's referring to his praying in the garden. Praying, offering up strong crying and tears. He was in agony and prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed that three times. Nevertheless, thy will be done. But he was in agony and sweat great drops of blood. But then in verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. How does the Son of God learn obedience? You know, it says here that he was not delivered. He was not delivered from the suffering. He was delivered out of death by the resurrection from the dead. But Jesus Christ learned what it means to obey is better than sacrifice. Let me try to explain that. He learned that obeying is better than giving what I have. And for him to obey meant giving his own life. You know, Many people will give things that they have. But they don't want to give their life. But the Bible says in several places that he that saveth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall save it. Really, the idea of repentance is you surrender your life to the Lord. But many don't want to surrender their life to the Lord. But Jesus is an example for us here that he learned through obedience, he learned that he had to surrender his life. That was the will of God. That is the only way 
salvation could be accomplished was through a surrender of his life. He did not want to do it. His body, his human being, did not want, you know, him being God, he didn't want to be made sin for us. He knew that it meant the separation of the Father. After all, he knew all things. Yet he learned obedience. He learned to obey his Father in the most difficult trial, crucible of life. Therefore, our Lord understands the struggles we have because of the weakness of the flesh. Sometimes we have this idea, no one understands. You know, you've not walked a mile in my shoes, you know. That guy told me that this week. I told him, I don't understand, because I never been in an exact situation, but I said, there are people who have. He's not the only one in the world that's went through what he's gone through. But the Lord understands. He understands the struggles that we have in life. You know, he, again, he asked the Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. And, and, and that makes Hebrews 4.15 much more uh, plain to us where it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted as like as we are yet without sin. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He had to suffer the cross. It meant surrendering his own life to the Father. Obedience to the Father meant for him to be hated, falsely accused, spit on, beaten, crucified by those he created and loved. For the very people he was dying for. See, God's purpose for us is for his will to be accomplished and him to be glorified in us. It's for us to surrender our lives to him. You know, chasing the hardship, the trials of life are by design to smooth the rust edges of sin out of our lives and to conform us into the image of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we see this throughout the other passages of Scripture, Philippians 4, 1, or Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. God's going to continue. If you're, if you're a child of God, God's going to continue to work in your life and to, to get rid of the rough edges, the sin that's in your life that, that, that defiles you and, and keeps you from being conformed to his image. James 1. My brother, and kind of all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness, through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
See, God allows chastening, or He chastens you, He allows trials and hardships in your life to work to bring you to the place where you glorify Him. Secondly, we see chastening is proof the Lord loves us. I know this sounds strange to the world in which we live in because they have no idea what love is. But chastening is proof the Lord loveth us. Notice verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know, chastening really means the afflictions of evils and calamities. Scourgeth. We all know what scourging is. Jesus was scourged. In other words, he was whipped. We would say today, with our children, we spanked them. We gave them a whipping. Same word. In fact, Revelation 3.19 says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Proverbs 29.17 is translated correct. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Do you want to delight your heavenly father? Except bear the scourgings of life. And allow them to conform you into his image. It's not pleasant. We're going to see that next week. It's not pleasant at the time. But it is for our profit. You know, even when when the Lord chastens us, when he scourges us, he never stops loving us. You know, people have this idea today that that if you spank your children, you must not love them. The opposite is true. The opposite is true. You know, don't ever say to your children or anybody, don't do that or God won't love you. Because it's not true. God loves everyone. God's to love the world. God, even the, the worst sinner, God still loves them. You know, and, and if a child of God sins against God, God still loves them, but he will chasten. He will scourge them to bring them back to a right way. You see, what is true is God loves you and will correct you. He will scourge you to correct your way. You know, Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressors is hard. It's hard. To go against God is hard. The Lord said to Paul, or Saul on the road to Damascus, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. His life was hard. Because he was opposing God. You can oppose God if you want to, but your life will be hard. Because God loves you and doesn't want you to continue in your sin. That will destroy you. You know, it's the continual washing of the waves that smooth the stones on the shore. You know, man was known for carving dogs out of wood. 
Someone asked him, how do you do it? He said, it's very simple. I take a block of wood and I cut and I chip everything that doesn't look like a dog. You see, that's what the Lord is doing in your life and mine. Everything that doesn't look like Christ, he's working to chop it off. He's working to chop it off. Now, we can, we can do one or two things. We have two options. We can lay it aside, as he says in verse 1. We can lay it aside, cast it off, or we can have him scourge us. work to take it off. You see, that's what the Lord is doing in your life. The Bible calls it sanctification. Sanctification. Through chastening, trials, and afflictions, He is working to transform your life into one of Christ's likeness. One that somebody will look at and say, that is a Christian. In other words, they are Christ-like. And so the encouragement to us is endure. Endure the chastening of the Lord. Endure the trials of life. Endure the hardships. They have a purpose. In fact, James goes a step farther and says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I have to admit, I don't, I don't really consider it a joyful thing. But if we understand that there is a purpose, you know, I believe that God has a purpose for everything He allows in our life, and it's come upon us that we seek His will and direction and solutions and reasons. We don't always know the reasons. We may not ever know the reasons, but we need to trust Him who doeth doeth all things well. See, God had a purpose for Jesus. Aren't you glad God had a purpose for Jesus Enduring the cross, it provided for our salvation. God has a purpose for you to go through the trials, tribulations of life. Let's endure them as good soldiers of Jesus Christ.